That means we're getting right down toward the end here. Revelation 19, we were not going to take the whole chapter like we did last time, but uh, uh, just take part of this uh, chapter. Revelation chapter 19, we're going to talk about a marriage celebration. All right, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Now, Paul urged Titus to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, writing to the Thessalonian church, Paul encouraged those new Christians, saying, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with the everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Second Thessalonians 1. And then in the book of Jude, there's a, per, a promise. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which are uh, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And then speaking of the tribulation time, Jesus himself told his disciples about the end in Luke chapter 21. And there shall be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and looking after those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud of power and great glory. Uh, in Matthew, he, uh, it says in Matthew 24, uh, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven and power and great glory. Now this, this is several passages of scripture throughout the New Testament that are uh, bringing us to the point where we are in our study of Revelation. Uh, so today we're come to a more, and, and those passages have some pretty dark and dismal things in them, which are not necessarily pleasant to think about, but today we come to more refreshing, exciting portion of scripture in our study of the book of Revelation after the dismal previous passages uh, that we've dealt with exclusively with the judgment and the fall of Babylon. Uh, now, as we come to chapter 19, the first six verses are known as the Hallelujah Chorus. Uh, this is particularly a special passage for believers. 
we are the redeemed, the bride of Christ. Uh, uh, these verses deal with the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, the, our hearts and minds shift from the despair of the Lord's wrath to the delight of our Lord's uh, marriage supper uh, or the marriage ceremony. Uh, there, this is no ordinary wedding. Uh, is there such a thing as an ordinary wedding? No, probably not. But uh, it's a wedding in heaven, uh, a wedding literally made in heaven and the marriage of our Lord and uh, his, his bride. Now, I remember, uh, I still have enough memory that I can remember the joy and the excitement of December the 27th, 1970. Is that right? Is that right now? Well, that's a long time ago for her and for me. But uh, I've seen a lot of weddings. I've even performed a good number of weddings, but this wedding will surpass all the others. Uh, it's here where Christ will take the bride that he sacrificed himself to secure, and he takes a few moments, uh, we'll take a few moments here just to rejoice as we look into the future of the wedding day, the marriage celebration. So let's look at that hallelujah chorus in verses 1 through 6, first of all. Uh, in verse um, 1 through 6, uh, we're going to see here, uh, get our first glimpse of the excitement and the rejoicing that will surround the marriage of the Lamb. Uh, for a wedding day, uh, for I guess uh, those of us that are married, we can remember uh, that it was a bit uh, nerve-wracking, perhaps, a little nervousness, uh, maybe uh, some stress that uh, uh, was with it. Of course, for the guys, there's no stress, right? That's all for the girls, right? Uh, no, no, everybody, everybody knows kind of what it was like. And uh, with the celebration uh, reserved for after the ceremony, but the celebration here is sort of pre preceding the ceremony. Uh, and we look at, uh, uh, in these verses here, uh, we'll find the word hallelujah. Now, the hallelujah uh, word here is from the Greek, and it's repeated again and again in the opening verses, and it reveals the atmosphere of the wedding celebration. Now, this is uh, simply the word for hallelujah, uh, which is actually from the Hebrew, and that's a word which means praise ye Yah or Jehovah. It simply means praise Jehovah or praise the Lord. Now the word hallelujah is a common to every language. I think all nationalities express praise in some kind of form of hallelujah. Uh, even those who don't know God often praise as they say hallelujah. You know, I've heard, uh, uh, I've even heard uh, announcers uh, on ball games and, and baseball and football say amen or something like that, or they say hallelujah. Uh, well, they're not praising God. They're just saying, you know, they were excited about something that happened. Uh, so, uh, but here we're praising God, and uh, we notice that what we're praising God for. First of all, praise for salvation. Verse 1 says, and after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Isn't it fitting that the redeemed began to praise the Lord for his marvelous salvation? I certainly believe it is here that the reality of what we've received will really 
begin to set in. Now, I think, you know, we think about our salvation. We think, boy, this is a wonderful truth. We read about it. We claim the promises of God. And we think, boy, I'm so thankful that I'm saved. But here, you're going to really understand what that really means. Uh, we'll become keenly aware of the sacrifice that w was made that we might be saved. Now, we're going to see and behold the splendor that Jesus left to come to earth as a man. Uh, we will surely be mindful of the suffering of the cross, the empty tomb, the resurrection. And it's then that the reality of our Savior's mercy and grace really settles into our hearts as we offer praise for what he's done and the benefits that we have received. The redeemed will shout his praise for salvation. So there's praise for salvation. Secondly, there's praise for victory. Notice verse 2. And the true and righteous are his judgments, and he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they say, Alleluia! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. The chorus offers praise for the purity and the righteousness of God. Uh, he's just in all, he is just in all that he has done. He's righteous. Uh, there won't be a soul gathered there that hasn't suffered the affliction of sin and Satan. And God is, uh, was just in his judgment, and we have finally been fully separated from the presence of sin and evil influence. Uh, that will be something to really praise God for, that as we have all battled sin in the flesh, every day that we live, we're going to be in a place that sin and Satan won't be welcome and won't be present. Amen. We'll stand and behold the one who secured the victory as he defeated death, hell, and the grave on the cross of Calvary. Amen. Now, no more will we have to deal with the effects of sin. There'll be no more ruined lives, no more battered children, no more broken homes, be no more temptation to lure men away from what they know is right. Uh, praise God, the victory has been won, and we're going to sing of our Redeemer, the one who conquered it all for us. Thirdly, there's going to be the praise of worship. Verse 4, And four and twenty elders and four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. Again, we're finding that here the 24 elders gathered around the throne, doing as they've always done, falling on their faces before God, worshiping him. And we need to keep in mind that they are a picture of all the saints of God. The hallelujah chorus will involve pure, unhindered worship of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I really ever really worship like I really ought to. You know, we, we say, yeah, we're worshiping, but do we really do it as we ought to do it? Now, there's always something that kind of hinders us as we live in this body of flesh. Many times we allowed our pride to get in the way. We, we hold back on a genuine, heartfelt worship. Uh, but in heaven... We're going to offer praise that the Lord deserves. We're going to have a glorified body, and that will be able to worship in a way that pleases and praises God. 
Uh, you know, if we ever really got a hold of what Christ has done for us, we would praise him even now. Uh, it would do us good to get in the habit with a practice session or two down here, don't you think? Uh, these are saying, amen, so be it, and I agree. Uh, it's a, a, a biblical way of saying amen to the word of God. And uh, when you agree with the preaching, you say amen, right? Uh, don't just do it, though, for show. Uh, don't just do it so everybody will think you're spiritual. Oh, he says amen. He must be spiritual. No, say it because you mean it. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Richard Akins, he was a fellow coach and teacher when I taught at Maranatha. He and I went and preached in the summertime at churches around Wisconsin. And uh, often on the way, he said, you know, he said, I'll give you a dollar for every amen you give me during my message today. And so, uh, you know, I'd kind of return the favor, but I don't think we ever paid each other. We just probably uh, kept track <laughs> of how many amens we gave each other. But, no, that's not the reason to give an amen, because someone's watching or you're going to get some money for it. Uh, uh, so uh, this is what they're saying here. They're saying, so be it, I agree with with God, and I agree with what he's done for me. There's a praise of worship. And then there's a praise for sovereignty. Verse 6, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters, and as a voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now, the Hallelujah Chorus concludes with a praise for the reign of the omnipotent God. He is the almighty, all-powerful Lord. He is, there is none beside him. Yeah, he alone stands as the God of the universe. We serve one who stands as the ruler of all things, great and small. Uh, over in Isaiah 45, verse 6, it says, They that may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Isaiah 43, 13, Yea, before the Lord day was... I, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work, and who shall let it? Uh, we will offer praise and honor to God, the God of heaven, the true and living God, the Savior of our souls, our God. So here we start out with the hallelujah chorus. Secondly, we see a heavenly ceremony, the heavenly ceremony. See this in verses 7 through 9. And as this chorus concludes, the ceremony begins. The marriage of the Lamb is come. The day of generations of saints uh, have longed to see that day that we wed our King. And I want you to notice, first of all, the bridegroom is praised. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. We have all attended weddings. I'm sure, and we've waited with anticipation for the wedding march. Everybody's sitting and whispering to each other, talking, and pretty soon you hear the organ start with uh, some music, and uh, you're just in anticipation. Here comes the bride down the aisle with, with uh, usually her father or somebody that uh, she has chosen to give her away. And so we all put our attention to her. Now, that poor guy standing up there, we don't even pay attention to him. 
he's just, you know, he's kind of grinning from ear to ear and kind of just, oh boy, I hope we can get this over with. But anyway, our attention is to her. And uh, it's the highlight of the wedding in our culture. And uh, uh, yet this wedding is going to be unlike anything we've ever known. It's the bridegroom who stands to take his bride, and he will be the focus of attention. It's going to be the bridegroom. He's the one whom the hallelujahs are reserved for. Now, can you imagine the joy of that time? Consider all the times that you've been faced with adversity or all the times you were in the midst of a storm, the times that you were weary from a journey, and yet the Lord came to comfort you in a time of your need. You know, I think we can all say that we've felt his presence near us in many situations in life. And if, uh, if you haven't, then perhaps you need to examine your relationship with him. You know, I can't begin to tell you what the Lord has done for me in my Christian life, but I've never beheld his presence. I've never seen him as I'm going to see him on this particular day. I realize that we will behold him as he calls us uh, for believers in the rapture, but this day is going to be a day of unrivaled beauty and overwhelming joy as we behold the lamb that was slain for our transgressions. And as he steps out to take us to himself as his bride, the bride will offer an unending praise for the bridegroom. We will stand astounded at his love for an unworthy bride. So the bridegroom is praised. Secondly, the bride is presented. Goes on in verse 7 and says, Marriage of the Lamb is come, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. At the weddings I've attended, people always talk about how beautiful the bride was. And she's put forth a lot of effort to make herself her best for her bridegroom. And as believers are presented as the bride of Christ, she will never be more beautiful than she is at that time. Now, the bride hasn't been perfect. Uh, there are times when the bride has failed to meet the groom's expectations, but she is loved of him and she is beautiful in his eyes. Uh, her love or his love for her is enough that he died for her. Uh, she was the object of his affection. And she's presented here in fine linen, clean and white. That speaks of her purity before the Lord. You know, living in a body of flesh, we have all failed. We've all come short of the glory of God. But we'll stand righteous because of the blood that has been applied. On that day, all sin will be gone. And we will be as God intended for us to be, holy and pure and free of sin. Ephesians 5, uh, we read about... Uh, how husbands are to love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So the bride is believed to be the glorified believers of the church age, even though some would say that it includes all Old Testament believers, 
I don't think it does because they were going to be the, the guests at this wedding. Uh, Hebrews 12.23 says, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which were written in heaven. And we then come to the guests that are presented in verse 9, where it says, And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. At the wedding, as the wedding ceremony commences, it will be surrounded by a great host of guests looking on. The called are those who are invited to the wedding. Uh, the, the Lord has prepared an enormous guest list. Many scholars believe the called are those who are saved prior to Pentecost and after the rapture. The Old Testament saints and the tribulation martyrs. And can you imagine those who will be present to celebrate the marriage of the Lamb? And it'll include all the heroes of faith. Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and so on. Those who saw the Lord through types and pictures will be present to celebrate his wedding. And all those who chose to serve the Lord rather than the pleasures of the beast of that the beast would bring would also be present. It'll be a celebration for all God's people to enjoy together. The wedding of the sun will be a glorious event. So we have the hallelujah course, we have the heavenly ceremony, and we have an honest, the honest confirmation. In verse 9, in the second part there, it says, And he saith unto me, These are true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he saith unto me, See thou, do it not, I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren, and have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. As John witnesses the marriage of the Lamb, concluding, he's going to give, be given a confirmation to write down. Notice the certainty of the promise. First of all, the certainty of the promise. And he says there, and he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. All that John had witnessed would surely come to pass. These were the true sayings of God. It wasn't something that John made up. This is what God revealed to him. Uh, it's been a glorious scene. It will take place just as God had revealed it. Uh, the church-age saints will one day stand before the bridegroom as the blood-bought bride. And we have encountered much prophecy in Revelation and each of these prophecies will come to pass. The word of God will stand when the world is on fire. The world may scoff and it may doubt. We may be ridiculed and belittled for our faith. But one day, that God has promised, one day that will all come to pass. You know, many times in the Bible we come across that, that phrase, and it came to pass. And this will be no exception. The wedding in the sky will be a reality for us one day, and we will begin our 1,000-year honeymoon with the Lord. The certainty of the promise. And then the center of all prophecy. That's what verse 10 is talking about. I fell at his feet to worship him. Once again, John is moved by what he has seen, that he falls at the feet of the angel about to offer worship. And once again, the angel stops John as just a servant would be, would do. And it is here that the angel reminds John that all he has seen, every single event, every single prophecy, 
is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. The revelation is the unveiling of Christ himself. The Bible is a hymn book. Not like you have in your seats there. It's a hymn, H-I-M. It's a hymn book. He is found in every book of the Bible. He is present in all generations. And much prophecy of the Old Testament pointed to his first event, advent and sacrificial death in each of those has been fulfilled. The prophecy that John has received as well as others concerning his second coming and the blessings of the redeemed will also come to pass. And Jesus is the focal point of our faith. He will be the center of heaven. Now I'm looking forward to that day as I will stand as a part of the bride of Christ. I plan on being included in the wedding in heaven. I hope you are as well. Have you made preparation to be part of the bride? And those who are saved will be presented as his bride. But those who reject him will not even be a guest at his wedding. If you plan to stand as the bride of the Lamb, enjoying then the marriage supper, you must be born again. You must be a part of God's family and in, uh, saved by his blood. Let's uh, take our songbooks again.